0: Okay, so let's start here. I have tried to write the intro to this book maybe 50 million times. I've tried to do it 50 million different ways. And I I probably at one point in time did different translations. But here we are today embarking on this journey. If I'm honest, I really tried to put it behind me. I tried to like slip through the cracks of not having to produce this book and slip through the cracks of, you know, maybe God just raining down a blessing on me. But as I'm literally tell people all the time to stop reaching outward for the answer and reach inward for the answer. I find that I am kind of being a hypocrite and it's going against everything that I believe in. I have to be exactly what it is that I'm speaking. And ironically, I am what I'm writing. No matter how hard we try, we cannot escape who we are. I raised the question of who are we? Yet we can't escape who we are. The good, the bad, the ugly, the ups and the downs, they all go together to make up this beautiful picture. God gave it to me like this. He said, you're a sunflower. If I could tell you the whole story, I was at the grocery store and I was going through this season of trying not to fall into lust. I thought that I could like shut down all of my human emotions and just never find anyone attractive. So when I went to the store and I found someone so attractive to the point that I could not keep my eyes off of them, I literally ended up walking back to my truck crying. I was in tears. I was weeping, feeling like how could I fall into the very thing I didn't want to fall into? Yet I never fell. (laughs) I never actually fell. The Bible tells us that sin begins in our thoughts. I wasn't thinking I wanted to do anything in the first place. I was thinking I wanted to stop, so I didn't fall. Nevertheless, I got in the car. I was actually doing an Instacart order. And I was driving to deliver the order. I was somewhere out in the, the country. We call well I call that the boondocks, although, anyways, I was driving out into this like little country area and I passed the field of sunflowers. Immediately as I was passing the field of sunflowers, I heard God say something about the sunflower. I didn't know what he was saying. I didn't know anything about the sunflower. So maybe if I was a, you know, a plant scientist or a plant uh studier, a studier of plants, whatever that name would be, I would have known exactly what he was saying. But sometimes God will speak something to you that you have to do a little bit of research, a little bit of diving on. You might have to go to school for it. He might say you'll be a neurologist, but child, there ain't no, you know, It's not you're not just going to know how to cut open, you know, do some brain surgery. You're going to have to go to school and get the training necessary to walk into the destiny God has for you. So there will be some words that God speaks that will require a little bit of investigation, a little bit of research, a little bit of study. So I had to pull over because it was so heavy. It was right after I dropped the order. It was literally in the same complex. I dropped the order. Pulled over as I bagged out their driveway, got up to the stop sign, and then I went on Google, my best friend, and I said, meaning of sunflowers. What do sunflowers do? I was doing all that I could do. Immediately, God said, I'm a sunflower. When you look at a sunflower, you see one beautiful picture well, or, or flower, actually. You see one beautiful flower. But if you were to ever zoom in on a sunflower, which I don't think the bees would allow you to because, you know, something was in the... Anyways, if you zoom in on the sunflower, you will see that it's a bunch of little itty bitty flowers put together. So the sunflower is not just one big old flower. It is a bunch of little flowers that combined make up one big flower. So without one of those little flowers, you can't really have a sunflower. You'll just have a, you know, flower. God says every single part about you makes up who you are. The good, the bad, the ugly, the parts you hate, and the parts that you love, the parts you think need work, and the parts you think are too good, but those are the ones that really need to be worked on. Everything about you, the things that you're running from, and the things that you want to walk into, they all make up who you are. You are a sunflower, Furthermore, I found out in my study, in my research of sunflowers that all throughout the day, they turn their head to face the sun. Wherever the sun goes is where they go. He said, you are not only a sunflower, but you're my sunflower and I am your sun. Wherever I go, you go. Whatever I do, you do. He even goes on to say that wherever we go, he goes. Wherever he stays, we stay. Or wherever... I stay, he stays, Ruth, 116, okay? He says, you think that you're not doing enough. You think that for some reason... I just require you to be so perfect. You think for some reason that I've placed this this heavy unction on you to just be Jesus and you can't be Jesus. You can only be like Jesus. You could become more like Jesus, but you can't be Jesus. There's only one Jesus. He's perfect. I am the perfecter. So I am placing myself down inside of you that on this journey that we're on together, I will perfect you along the journey. And one day when you're finally with me, you shall be perfect but until then you cannot attain perfection and still walk on this planet he said you're overthinking you think that just because you found someone attractive that that means you're not really seeking after me or not really following me no the fact that you felt so low simply because of normal of a a normal human emotion shows how much you are Your heart is mine, shows how much you're seeking after me, shows how much you desire me, shows how much you want me. That's just not how you're going to get it because you don't have to. We are sunflowers. I don't know where I was going initially, but I come to find that if we ever rest in knowing that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, we may actually become unstoppable. You see, the enemy wants us to think that God does not love us. The enemy wants us to think for some reason that if we mess up, that is just the end of the line. God's grace is not sufficient. You know, his mercies are not new every day. It doesn't matter. I've just gone too far this time and God does no longer love me. It's just gone. He doesn't love me. Now I'm being condemned. Now I'm kicked out of the garden. Now I've just failed, not understanding that God might have kicked them out the garden, but he gave them a chance, not at the same life he had planned. But at a new beginning, we serve a God of new beginnings. So how could I possibly not love you if I'm completing myself? I had to apologize to God. I'm like, Lord, I feel like, not not I feel like, I am like, Lord, I realize that I have been comparing the way that you love us to the way that my parents love me or to the way that we humans love each other. It's oftentimes transactional. It will be someone, a person who does not love you in a transactional way is a person loving you with the spirit of Christ because Christ does not love us in transaction. He loves us in promise. He loves us. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Nothing can separate us from his love. That's promise. Our parents love us. Not in promise. I don't know how to make that any deeper. So when we start to view God's love from a transactional perspective, we begin to create this void within ourselves that his love is supposed to fill that says I am unloved that says, I've got to walk in this perfectly straight line. I've got to be on time for church every Sunday. I have to read the entire Bible every Tuesday or else I'm just going to hell. When God says no, it doesn't work like that because I love you in completeness. I love you in promise. It's not that you sin today and I stopped loving you because, babe, I already knew that you were going to do that. I already know who you are. I'm omniscient. In fact, I made you. I'm not just like your parents who birthed you and don't know your characteristics, don't know your personality, don't know your traits and don't know your destiny. I did not birth you like that. I created you. I reached down into the dust. I spoke into my own self and I created you in my image. I put you together. I didn't need any instructions. I wasn't doing this blindly. I did it with full intentionality. I made you. So how can the Clay, say to the potter, what is it that you're doing and what is it that you're making? Oh, you can't possibly love me when I, the potter, made you and it's not the other way around. Why won't you love yourself the way that I love you? What is it that you cannot grasp or can't understand that will allow you to be freed from the shackles of hating your own self? I look back at Genesis 3 and I come to realize that the enemy just wanted Eve to hate herself enough that she might desire something that she already had. Because if I don't love myself, I cannot understand what God has placed on the inside of me for my victory. The power of love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love gives us clarity. Love makes our vision complete. Love. And so I begin to wonder, what is our biggest stumbling block in life? We had a hard childhood. Things didn't go the way that we wanted them to go. Things didn't end up how we wanted them to end up. You know, we had ups and downs, trials and tribulations. Our parents weren't there for us, whatever the case may be. But what ultimately stops us from... walking in the best version of ourself or attaining the promises of God or even just loving ourselves? What stops us from being at peace? Lately, I've been doing this. People say, pray for this, pray for that, pray for this, pray for that. And I'm all for it. But I've begun to pray, God, meet us at the place of our need. Meet us at the point of our need. Meet us smack dab in the middle at the intersection of what we need. Because I can sit and I can pray, Lord, provide for me in this area when that's not ultimately what I need. I don't need another $100. No, I need, Lord, for you to provide for me a system that will allow me to never deplete the resources that you give unto me. So it's not so much that I need you to bless me with a simple $100 as it is, Lord, I, Lord, I need you to change my way of thinking that I don't think from a poverty mindset, but a mindset of prosperity. So if I pray, Lord, give me a 100 dollars, he'll answer the prayer for a hundred dollars and I'll be living off hundred dollar blessings when maybe, just maybe if I said, Lord, pray, I need you to meet me at the place of my need. I would have a fountain that overflows more than a hundred dollars because God recognizes that a hundred dollars can get you so far. That's why the Bible says that money solves all things. But what ultimately prevents us from getting to the glory of God, it's simply that we don't love ourself. I don't love myself enough to believe that I'm worth more than a $100. I don't love myself enough to believe that I have greater purpose. I don't love myself enough to believe That I am the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, the lender and not the borrower. I don't love myself enough to see myself the way that God sees me. So when I look in the mirror, I don't see a beautiful sunflower. I see a dead branch. I see a dead branch. I see something withered. I see something broken. I see something worthless, useless, useless, no point behind it, no purpose. I see a branch. What good does a branch have in the world? What possibly can a branch produce? Absolutely nothing. Of itself, a branch can do Nothing. I remember as a kid, I would pick up the branches. I would pretend that they were like guns or something like that. Or there was a point when I used to like really like magic wands, you know. So I would, you know, use it as a magic wand. Maybe it was a prophecy to who I would be, you know. No, I don't use no magic wands or anything like that. But I surely have power. So maybe it was just a prophecy, you know, from warlock and witch to, uh, you know, prophet, all that good, great stuff. Maybe it was prophecy. But I used to play with little sticks. When you look at that little stick, what can it really do? I remember I used to break them. I used to just throw them around. I used to play with them with my dog. I think it was my dog named Sandy. She passed away from eating too much pizza, but we're not going to talk about her today. Um, We used to just play with them and they were, you know, there was nothing. It was just a branch broken away from a tree. It was just a simple branch that broke off of a tree. It was just a branch, but it broke off of a tree. What is our biggest stumbling block in being effective? It's because we're just branches broken off of a tree. What can a branch do lying on the ground broken off of a tree? Nothing. Yet, when you look at a tree, those are all branches and they have leaves or fruit or they've produced something, even moss. They're productive. They're effective. They're efficient. Not of themselves, but because of what they're connected to. So I come to find that ultimately when the enemy convinces us that God doesn't love us, he convinces us that we're not connected to God. And ultimately, though we are connected in our love, we end up disconnected simply because it begins in our mind. It's all about taking power over our mind. And so because a man thinks and becomes, if we think we're disconnected, so we become disconnected. And so, how can a branch bear fruit of itself if it not could be connected to the vine, connected to the tree? I am the the vine, you are the branches. My Father is the vine dresser. Any branch in me that does not bear fruit, he pr- that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. And any branch in me that does not bear fruit, he breaks off. Yeah, what I love Is how the Bible goes on to tell us that even the broken branches that have withered away get grafted into the tree, which gives me this hope and opportunity. I guess this is ultimately why we glory in every tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. I, I, I guess that's why all things work for good. I guess that's why if God be for me, who can be against me? Because though I might break off and wither, I still have the opportunity to be grafted in. The question becomes what stands in the way of us taking advantage of the opportunity. I think oftentimes we get so caught up on time and wanting things to happen when we want them to, how we want them to, at the speed of what we want to, in a place that we want to, as we're comfortable. Not recognizing that the promise of God responds to our uncomfortability or uncertainty, i.e. a.k.a. better known as what I'm trying to say is faith. Faith is the unknown, yet faith is the evidence of what's not seen, of what's unknown. Faith is the known in the midst of the unknown. And maybe we get so caught up on time that we lose out on our faith because we're walking by sight when we shall walk by faith. So we've thrown our guarantee away to latch on to something that is not eternal. So while my situation may not look prosperous today, while my situation may not look good today, it's not eternal. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Weeping may possibly endure through the night, but in the morning time, joy must come, which means there is a clear, clear measure of time set aside for weeping. Set aside for darkness. Set aside for turmoil, tribulation, and trial. Then joy, then prosperity, then peace, then restoration must come. Jesus was in the tomb three days, and then what happened? Revival. So why do we allow ourselves to get so caught up in time and sacrifice our eternity? Maybe it's because we don't understand that this is all a journey of perfection. So if I feel like today I'm not doing good or today I'm not getting it right, maybe, just maybe, I think it's the end of the line when really the end of the line is not until we get to the end of the line, for time is actually the sum of moments placed together. So when the Bible says that God will never leave us nor forsake us, it's not talking about the season where he hid his face in anger which the Bible says, it's saying that when you get to the end of story or end of the story and we zoom out and we look at all the moments together, this will be called time. And at the end of this story, when we're looking at time, holding it in our hands, because God holds time in his hand, he's not in time nor subject to time. He created time. So he picks it up and glances at it when he feels like it. When we are standing with God, looking at time, we will see that he never left us or for Sook us or forsake us, however you say it, because we're literally standing with him. So why would you allow the enemy? Why would you allow your own thoughts to manipulate you into thinking that God has forgotten about you? God has dropped you. God has let you go. At the very least, I had people reaching out to me saying this. They said, oh, I'm gay, or oh, I like men, and I feel like it's getting in my relationship with Jesus because I don't want him to not like me, or so I don't want to go to hell and stuff like that. I'm like, well, if you don't want to go to hell that bad, I think you should seek after him harder than anybody else. Does that make sense? Oh, because I think that I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to run away from the only person that can save me from hell? At the very least, I would rather be chasing after Jesus if I may but touch the hem of his garment, grab his garment, have him say who just touched me, and have I have to say it was me, Lord. Him ask me why. I say because I was scared that if I didn't get a touch from you, I would end up going to hell. I would rather do that than sit and not move and allow the thoughts of the enemy and the thoughts of myself to keep me in a place God was trying to break me out of. But um, you have to understand that in order to get to God, it's going to take a level of boldness that says no matter what facts might support me staying behind, I've got to step out on faith that I can get ahead. And if I may but just touch the hem of his garment, I believe I'll be made whole. So whether it was possible or it wasn't possible, God responds to the level of our faith. So if I believe that I'm not loved, maybe just maybe my life will, will start to reflect that very belief because our words have power. And so every time I look in the mirror and I say bad things about myself that nobody else thinks, I'm becoming what it is that I say. So we we look back on our life and say, I had so much drive, I had so much creativity, I had so much vision at this point in my life, but now I seem to not be able to tap into that flow. It's because you allowed the flow of your words to contradict the flow of your faith. So now you're living under the bondage of the death that you spoke rather than living in the abundance of the life you decreed and the life you declared, the life you proclaimed and the life that you aligned yourself with. Because God said, I have plans to prosper you. So ultimately, the enemy is after our belief system, he's after our mind. Our mind is essentially our belief system. That's why the Bible tells us, let this mind be in us that is also in Christ Jesus. Because for some reason, Jesus just had this radical faith. that said, Lord, I really don't want to get on this cross. Father, It, it we've we, we've come all the way here. I know it was great. It was grand, but I've reached this point where I feel like I cannot go any further. I feel like this is pulling on me in a place that I do not have the capacity for. Nevertheless, I have the faith to believe that if you brought me this far, you won't leave me now. So nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I want to have that type of faith, the faith to believe that if I have a need, God will not allow me to walk forward with my need still hanging on me, but he will come reach up out of me down from heaven and say, I take the shackles off of your feet that you might be able to dance. The Bible says that when, sweat, that when his sweat glands be, became filled with blood and blood began to, fill, to spill out of his sweat glands, that angels were sent to his side to strengthen him immediately. At the very least, why wouldn't I seek after God with a different level of intensity if I feel like I'm unloved, if I feel like I'm rejected, if I feel like I'm going to hell? But I would rather sit in those thoughts than try to let those thoughts come under my feet feet for I have the power to tread over serpents and scorpions over every demonic power and principality I have more power over it so why would I allow the bondage associated with those witchcraft ways of thinking to keep me bound when I have the power just by the way that I think to break out the shackles and step into saving our savior I say God uses people right I was on live the other day and I was talking about how I had to have this humbling perspective kind of, because, you know, I'm able to talk with everyone. I'm able to talk to spiritual people. I'm able to talk to atheists. I'm able to talk to people who are of this, of that, who believe in rocks and crystals in the universe. I might not entertain the conversation for long because I don't, you know, I'm, you know what I mean? But I can talk to any and everyone and still communicate the message of Jesus in a way that's, that brings everyone in and keeps no one out. You know what I'm saying? So I had this thing where I was in, this was when I was in jail, actually. I was talking to my roommate or cellmate, whatever. And I was like, yeah, he was like, I believe we're all gods. I'm like, yeah, we are. Because, you know, we are. Read the scripture. We are created in the image and likeness of God. So essentially, we are gods. We have dominion in all the earth. We are gods, but we're not God, you know? And so while I was in jail, I had a humbling experience because... I was like, yeah, we, all, we are gods, but, but can I get myself out this jail? It doesn't matter what I say to these officers, and this was actually a, a thing that I had. I'm like, no matter how nice I am to these officers, no matter how much I show them that I am not a criminal in real life, no matter how much I try to articulate and set myself apart from these people, they are seeing me like everybody else, right? Obviously, you know... My spirit was speaking. So there were officers that said, listen, you don't belong here. But stay on the point of my story was that they were just, they, they weren't going for it. So no matter how, you know, well I was with my words, no matter who I tried to make covenant with to try to say, hey, you know, just let me out. I won't tell anyone I'll disappear and we'll never have to speak about this again. It wasn't happening. So could I get myself out of this situation? No. So despite all the power that I have, I really don't have any power because the power is not of myself, but out of who's at work in me. I began to understand, I hope I can say this in a structured way. I began to understand that it is literally not about us. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we say. It's not about, you know, what we build or don't build. It's not about us. It's not about us being righteous. It's not about us walking this perfect straight line. It's not about us. But who is at work in us? For I've given you this treasure and I've placed it down on the inside of an earthen vessel that the excellence of the power, that the functionality of the power, that the glory of the power may only come from the power and not from you. But we oftentimes think of ourselves higher than we ought to. We lift ourselves higher than we need to thinking that it is all dependent upon us when God's will is going to function anyways. Because it's not about us. So broken branch withered away. Still, even revival isn't about me. Revival is about the roots coming and sprouting and grabbing me back in. So there are some times when we get so far away from God that we think it's the end. And maybe even in our thinking, we've gotten so far away from him. Then he'll send a lasso like Indiana Jones, grab a hold of us and snatch us right back. I'm reminded of the prodigal son who had to come to himself. Living amongst pigs, going from living high to living low. Then out of no- nowhere, there was no pre-planning. There was no strategizing. He didn't sit with himself and say to himself, so we've got to get it, get it together. It was just something that snatched him from the place that he was in to the place that he belonged in, from the way of thinking that was having him trapped to the way of thinking that he needed to be set free that said, now you shall go back home and stand as who I called you to be from the beginning. I've gotten ahead of myself. But when the prodigal son went back home, he did not go home to be a slave. He went back home thinking that's what God had for him. But when he got back home, God says, I give unto you everything that you lost. I'm restoring you for the years the locusts have eaten the canker worm and the palmer worm. I am repaying you. Oh, Israel, I am restoring you. Because we serve a God of restoration." weeping may joy will what prevents us from actually having peace peace in the restoration if I know that restoration comes, if I know that there is glory connected to this, if I know that goodness shall come to pass, if I know that in due, be not weary in re- well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not, if I know all of these things, why do I get so caught up? on what I don't see or what I don't feel or what I don't know or what I don't hear? Why won't I love myself enough? Or rather, why won't I let God love me enough to the point that I have peace understanding that it's not my responsibility? It's God's. Faith without works is dead, but I think people miss Listen, Jesus Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. It's all about him, not none of us. It's all about him, right? So if faith without works is dead and he's the author of our faith, We get our faith for the Bible says in Romans 12, I do believe every person has been given a measure of faith. We get our faith. Our actions will begin to align with our faith, because if that's our faith and that's what we believe and we're meditating on the things of God for set your mind on things above that will become what we are. Okay, I got to say it a little bit better as a man thinks in his heart. So is he. So if my faith just happens to get into my heart, even when I'm not thinking, I'm thinking. So even when I'm moving in the wrong direction, faith is pushing me to the right direction. For he said that I'll redirect your steps for the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So as long as I'm allowing my faith to stay in motion within me and I allow my actions to reflect the faith that is is at work in me, there is no way that I will never get to the promises of God. There is no way that I will not stand smack dab in the middle of my destiny because it's not about me, it's about him. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice, but sometimes being obedient is the sacrifice to say, Lord, I don't know, so I give it over to you. Then sometimes it's simply saying, Lord, I don't know, but I do know, and I'm gonna walk forward and what I do know, but don't know, trusting that, oh God, if you be for me, nothing can be against me, that I'll have strength and I'll have guidance, not coming from myself, but coming from you. Because if I don't have it, you You must supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory because you promised it to me. Lord, before I even knew what a promise was, you promised it. Before I knew, even knew what speaking was, you spoke it. You said that you would supply my needs, that I yearn not for a thing because I have you. So God, if I don't have it, it means that he must provide it. So why do we get caught up in thinking God is not God, that he's not sovereign, all-powerful? To be greater than us. Do you think one small mistake can really make God stop loving you? Do you think that's too much for God? The same God who said, I'm gonna let Lazarus sleep a little bit just because they think that he must still be alive for me to save him. I want everyone to know that even in death, I can revive the dead. So even when I'm a branch fallen and withered away, not connected to the vine, not connected to the... the tree. God allows it to happen purposely so that I can understand that it does not matter if the situation is alive or dead, For he is the God of death, hell, and the grave. He overcame them all. So if I die, he can resurrect me. If I fail, he can give me victory. If I fall, he can lift me up. Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless before the coming of the Lord Jesus. It's not about us. It's about him. So the challenge here is not trying to be the best version of yourself, but being submitted enough to the spirit of God to allow him to show up in us in such a great way that our best self is manifested simply because he's leading us and not ourself. For the flesh is corrupt. I come to find that with my mind, I serve God, but with my flesh, the law of sin So that means there is no way within my own thinking. There is no way within my own being. There is no ounce of my mental capacity that I can apply to trying to get to this level of perfection or attain this, this perfect strategy. It's not possible. Sometimes the only thing we can do is lift our hands and say, Lord, I surrender. Lord, I surrender the thinking. Lord, I surrender the wondering. Lord, I surrender. Sometimes that's the greatest thing we can say, is I surrender. To trust that no matter what, I love you. Then, no matter what, everything is working out exactly how it's supposed to be. I think sometimes the most powerful thing that we can do is walk away from the very thing that has been holding us down. It's not trying to figure out how to get out of it ourselves. It's not trying to figure out how to fix it ourselves. It's not trying to figure out how to get to this level of, I don't know. It is simply about trusting that with God, all things are possible, that you are loved More than anything, there's this song, it might be Jaira, that if he dresses the lilies with beauty and splendor, how much more will he clothe you? How much more will he love you? If he watches over every sparrow, how much more will he, I don't know, how much more will he clothe you? How much more will he love you? How much more? If he has given us dominion over all the earth and takes care of this earth. How much more will he take care of us? You see, the difference is between us and the earth. The earth doesn't doubt God. The earth trusts that the sun will rise and set. The earth has no control over that. The earth trusts that because God set it in motion, it's going to keep on spinning. The earth trusts not even in itself, but in God. So it gets to see the manifestation of the promises that God made in its life every single day because the earth doesn't struggle with unbelief. The earth doesn't have to work, doesn't have to battle with not believing in God, not believing his word, not standing on his promise. If we were ever to be like the earth, we would see it too. I was praying one day and I'm done. I was praying outside and I watched this bird take off in the midst of my prayer and I noticed that when the bird took off, it had its head focused upward like the entire body of the bird was a diagonal line and so when the bird took off, it began to ascend literally in a diagonal pattern going from ground on straight up. I thought it was so crazy and, and, and immediately I understood that we need to be like the birds. We need to keep our head focused where it is that we want to go. Doesn't matter what's on the ground beneath us. Doesn't even matter what was on in front of us when we were on the ground because we're not going on the ground. We're trying to get into the air. This is the submission where sometimes I have to ignore everything that's around me. Tilt my head up. Focus. Set my eyes on Jesus as he's lifted up. So shall I be lifted up. Set my eyes up take off and just trust that everything is going to be all right. So I began to look at eagles, right? I looked it up. I was going to eagle because, you know, eagles b- biblical. I was looking at how do eagles take off? How do eagles fly? When the eagle goes to take off and get into the sky, it jumps because eagles are, are, you know, not really on the ground like that. They're normally coming from high places. So they just jump They flap their wings a few times, and after like two or three flaps, they pull their landing gear, they pull their feet in, and they take off. An eagle doesn't wonder if it'll be able to fly. Often birds don't find out they can't fly until they actually go and fly. That's why they push birds out the nest, and then they end up flying. Oh, that's something good right there. Sometimes God will push push you out the nest just so you can see that you'll fly in what you thought that you were going to see, that, that you would fall in. Nevertheless, eagles, we've got to be like the eagles. We've got to be willing to jump and not question if we are going to be able to fly. Another thing about it is eagles don't flap their wings as much as birds, normal birds do. When eagles jump, they spread their wings and they catch the breeze that's already going. What is that called? The current of the wind. Which means an eagle doesn't have to think about if they'll be able to fly they don't have to think about if they'll be able to get to where they want to go. All they have to worry about is getting in the flow. All I've got to worry about is staying connected. So even eagles understand the principle that it's not about them, but what's at work with them. I can't say in them because the wind is not in them. Yet I, I we're more blessed than eagles because eagles have to operate with what's outside of them, we get to operate with what's already in us. In us. This is why it is so imperative to love yourself because you are the answer you've been praying for. But when you choose to hate yourself rather than love yourself, you block out all of the goodness, all of the glory that God put in you to help you succeed. No one in this world, besides Jesus, is gonna love you like you love you. You have to love yourself with such an intensity That even you don't allow yourself to not be there for yourself, to not show up for yourself. If everyone else is coming up against you, don't join them. You've got to be the one that says, self, we've got this. Self, everything's going to be all right. I said, I think I, I this might have been on live. I'm like. Y'all keep asking me to pray for you. That's good. You know, I do believe God has anointed people to pray prayers. I mean, that's that's biblical. You know, everybody can't pray and the mountains move, you know, so I understand the, the point of asking people to pray for you. But I make it clear. Have you even prayed for yourself? I can tell by the way that people ask me to pray for them sometimes that it's sporadic. You asking me to pray for you. You was just at church asking Susie to pray for you. You 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 be in the comments section saying, pray for me. When are you going to get to the point that you've already received the prayer? Now I'm going to walk in the prayer that was already prayed. Why do people end up, and I said I was done. Now I'm, I'm really finna be done. Why do people sit waiting for this miraculous, supernatural I don't even know. Move of God. When simply. All we have to do. Is what the prodigal son did. Which is what Peter did. Which is what Jesus did. Which is come to ourself. And begin to walk. If nowhere else. I was going to say in our God given authority. But if. If if not even in that place, at the very least, begin to walk with the understanding that I am loved, I am chosen, and that if everyone be against me, as long as God before me, then really no one can be against me. You know, I did low-key just try to clean that up, because, anywho, anywho, anywho. I have this thing on my wall. It's really a mirror, but you know, details. If you have been watching my YouTube videos, you already know this, but I have this thing taped on my mirror and it says, if you can see it, you can have it. If you believe it, it's yours. It was the mandate for March. It was It, it was clearly prophetic. I was like, okay, this is the mandate. Now, I, 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 what I was actually trying to say was this is the mandate for the year. I thought it was just for March, but God was like, no, this is the year's mandate. If you can see it, you can have it. If you believe it, it's yours. I will know what you believe based on what you do. Your actions will always expose you. That's why it says, as a man thinks in his heart, he becomes. So if you're walking around talking a great talk, but not being a great you, I understand just as the enemy does that there is really something broken on the inside of you that you're really missing something. Someone said this to me the other day. Um, They were like, um, oh, I remember who it is. When we put on our Ephesians 6, the enemy does not see us. The enemy sees God. It is when we start talking in a way that contradicts the armor that we put on or or acting in a way that contradicts the armor that we put on that the enemy begins to understand that it's really not God, that it's us. That's why the song went on to say what it used to say. It said something like "Um, um, praise will confuse the enemy. There we go. Praise will confuse the enemy. At the very least. OK, I'm really done. There was this trend on TikTok that said, be delusional, be delusional. You have to get to this place of being delusional. Now, I want you to tread lightly with the delusion. OK, I don't want you to jump off a building thinking you can fly and you find out the hard way that we were not really created like the birds. OK, we cannot fly. Um, so so be cautious with your delusion, y'all are not going to put that on me. But when I say be delusional, I say be delusional enough to say, Lord, if that's you, command me to come out into the water with you. Be delusional enough to not just say it, but to actually take one foot, throw it over the boat into the water. Then not only that, but take the other one and step it onto the water and begin to walk on the water. Be delusional enough to trust God, not yourself. Peter began to sink when he thought that it was about him and not about the God that was in it with him. Peter's focus, Peter's perspective was in the wrong place. Had the bird been looking down, it wouldn't have went up. It would have went down. Be delusional enough if you don't believe that God loves you. If you don't believe that it's working for your good, if you really don't, then just be delusional and say, I'm going to go with it just because. And watch where you end up. I'm going to go with it just because. Am I loved for real? I don't know, but I'm just going to go with it just because. Is this going to work in my favor? I don't know, but I'm going to just go with it because why not? What else do I have to lose? I mean, I, I've gotten to the place of saying, well, I, I've told y'all this before. If you lose everything, don't lose your faith. Everything can be crumbling. Your faith is the one thing. Uh-oh. is the one thing that will have your situation be made a liar. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, which means everything can be going to hell. Everything can be going to turmoil. And my faith will say, no, it's all working for my good. The world doesn't have that opportunity. The world is bound to what's actually occurring in their reality, in this physical realm. They're stuck there. But we have this divine Kairos opportunity to close our eyes from what we see and open our faith to what we believe. Which is Jesus. At the end of the day, it all goes back to Jesus. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God in the beginning. It all goes back to Jesus. And if we can find I was going to say the confidence, if we can find, I was going to say the boldness, if we can find the humility in that statement, the humility in our heart to make that statement, we will find peace. The Bible says, and I'm done. Y'all have to bear with me to flip a couple pages, unless the Holy Spirit just lets me open the Bible to that specific spot. Uh, so, give me a second while we go to where I'm trying to go, because I don't, I don't know it verbatim, um, not yet, at least not yet. Okay, right here, right here. Be anxious for nothing, Philippians four. Starting at verse six, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just. Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praise worthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. If you look back over your life, Look at all the ups and the downs, the hills and the valleys, the moments where you didn't know how things were going to work out, the moments when you didn't know what was on the other side, the moments you were in sin doing crazy things. When you look back over your life and you see how God never left you, you begin to have this voice that says, why would he leave me now? That's why Peter is saying so very clearly the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you in me. I think Peter is intentional about saying in me that we can understand that he went as far as denying Jesus while he was literally on the cross. He literally denied him, turned from him. No, Jesus, I don't know the man. When I did just cut off an ear trying to save him, I really don't know him. Yet when Jesus arose from the grave he said go tell the disciples and peter So when Peter says the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. These do. When Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter didn't say, but I betrayed you. Peter didn't say, but I rejected you. Peter didn't say, but I got stuck in the place I was supposed to triumph in. Peter didn't say, yes, you gave me a warning, but I didn't heed the warning. Warning, Peter said, okay, He said, go feed my sheep. I think that's what he said. Go feed my sheep. He said, do you love me? Yes, great. I have an assignment for you. Do you love me? Yes, great. I have an assignment for you. He was trying to remind Peter that despite what you did, it wasn't who you are. Yes, You did reject me, but I know you love me. You know you love me. I just need you to believe that you love me just as much as I love you. Because maybe if you get caught up in thinking that you could never come close to loving me the way I love you, you'll feel unworthy. But if you could understand that you are my sunflower and that as I move, you move, maybe, just maybe, you'll have the confidence and the boldness necessary to step into what it is that I'm calling you to. But if you allow any lesser way of thinking to keep you bound, you'll be stuck in the betrayal when God is calling you out of the betrayal. You'll be stuck in the rejection when God is calling you out the rejection. So despite what he did, Peter had the humbleness in his heart to say that if God says I can, then I will. The things which you learned and received and heard, these do and the God of peace will be with you. So lay down your worry, lay down your doubt, lay down your uncertainty, lay down your frustrations, lay down your overthinking. Lay down the burdens. He said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Lay it down. Lay it down. Lay it down. I was talking to my cousin the other day. He said, I I have to take care of all these people. He's like, oh, you're lucky. You get to move how you want to move and do what you want to do. You don't really have people to take care of like I do. I'm like, no one has called you to do what you're doing. You don't even have your own life together trying to carry the weight of other people. God did not call you to do this. Stop trying to carry burdens God didn't call you to carry. Do things God didn't call you to do. My yoke is light. My burden is easy. It's only hard when we stop being connected to the God of the yoke. I'm done. Because we went away over time. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God is going to meet you at the point of your need. I believe it. I would pray for it, but I already believe it to be done. I prayed for it. I believe it. Believe what you pray for before, believe in it before you pray for it, then you'll receive it based off your faith. It wasn't so much about the prayer as It was about the faith. The woman didn't pray before she went and touched the hem of Jesus's garment. She just said by faith that if I touch it, I'll be made whole. So I say by faith that God is going to meet us at the place of our need. It may not be what we think that we need. It may not even be what we want because oftentimes what we want is not what we need. I wanted my ex, but I didn't need my ex. God is going to meet us at the place of our need. I say so very clearly. I know I said I was done like three duns ago, but this one I'm done for real. You will never see Jesus have an encounter with someone and they be left the same. Every time that Jesus encountered someone, he left them changed. I remember when they brought the woman caught in the act of adultery and they said, normally, you know, we would stone someone like this. He said, no, we ain't finna stone nobody. I'm just gonna stoop down into the ground and ignore the accusations occurring around me because judging you shall be judged. If we're really gonna accuse, everybody here is gonna get stoned. So he stooped down and he began to ride in the mud while they They began to just throw accusations. Then he said, okay, fine. Whoever is without sin cast the first stone. Everyone began to leave person by person. Uh, You know, after an amount of time, the place was clear. He looked up. He said, where did everyone go? She said, they left. He said, now so shall you go and sin no more. Every single person that Jesus encountered, he transformed them. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He transformed them. He renewed them. He set them on a new path. No one remained the same. So when I say God will meet us at the place of our need, I I low-key, I honestly met it saying that he would provide us with the very thing that we need. But when I hear the words again, he will meet us at the place of our need. He himself will show up in the place of our need being the very thing that we need. Because if we just get to Jesus... If you drink from that well, if you drink that water, you will thirst again. But if you drink from this well, the water that I have for you, you shall never thirst again. So maybe our focus shouldn't be anything more but getting to Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.